Good morning, everybody. If you have a Bible, turn again to the book of Galatians. We're going to be continuing our Bible study, continuing to learn, to hopefully get it down into our hearts, what God has to say to us through this little book. You may get tired and bored with repetition, and that is understandable. Repetition and redundancy are not the same thing. Did you know that? Very often I repeat myself and I go over this material, um, not, not because I think that uh, I or you have never heard it before, but because we, we really need for it to sink in. Sometimes it just, it, it never takes the first time, you know. A few things might take the first time you hear them. But some, sometimes it takes dozens, hundreds of times to sink in. You know, at people who, who do advertising, who do marketing, know this. They know that you have to expose somebody to whatever their idea is a certain number of times before you actually get their attention, and then a certain number of times before they're going to be willing to buy and then perhaps more times before they actually will go ahead and do it. And that's why there's so much money that goes into advertising. is because they know this is what it requires. It requires a certain number of exposures. So uh, I'm not just trying to market. I mean, maybe I am trying to market the gospel. This is a great thing. It's a great thing. It will literally save your life. So that's why I say over and over again, I talk about how the, how the Word of God, it, it comes and it penetrates our hearts, and it's here, right here in the Scriptures, and it's for everybody from, from every culture and background and perspective, every age, man, woman. Um, it's for everybody. And that God is speaking to us through His Word. I repeat this over and over again. So that hopefully we will come to understand that God is pursuing us. That he is pursuing us. And he is trying to expose us to who he is, to his own heart. So that we might respond and say yes to his yes to us. And I'm repeating material here in Galatians about the law and the gospel. About that that hole we have in our own hearts and our own lives, that, that dis-ease we have with ourselves, knowing that we're not quite up to snuff, that we can't actually make it, and that we strive, we give ourselves our lives away in striving to fill that hole with something, whether it's the approval of another person or a whole group of people, whether it's having a, a, a spouse or having a family or having a career, whatever it is. That there was once a law given, a good moral law given to a people. And that that law was used as leverage for them to make themselves feel okay. And that we also, in our time, we create more laws, more things, more bars to have to leap over, more hurdles to have to 
hop over, more rungs on the ladder to have to climb in order to be okay. It's like that hole, every time you shovel something in, it actually gets deeper. Every time you take another step on the rung of that ladder, another one is added above. And it becomes a form of slavery. That's what Paul's getting at in this letter. So by way of uh, introduction, we're going to go back and we're going we're to do more review of the letter itself. But by way of introducing this particular section to, to get our minds in the right frame, I want to start with a statement. And that is that faith grows. Your faith grows when you start to believe that God is too late when you start to believe that maybe God isn't coming through, when that little bit of doubt arises, that resistance comes, and you push on anyway and you say, no, I still am going to wait. I still am going to trust. You know, when you've been... When you've been if you get unemployed, if you lose your job, you know, back in 08, a lot of us lost our jobs, 08, 09, when there's a, a major recession, we lost our jobs. You know, and for the first couple of weeks, you're like, woohoo, vacation, a little bit of stress because you don't have as much money as you used to. And you're okay with it. But that goes on long enough. You're like, okay, I'm going to trust you, Lord. You're going to provide for me. There comes a point where you're no longer just going along. Where you're like, God, you sh- I thought you would have come through by now. I didn't think I would be here. And now that moves beyond things like unemployment. I didn't think I would end up here. Widowed, divorced, unemployed, having lost a child, being infertile, whatever it is, you come to the point where you say, I never thought I would be here. I didn't think that in following the Lord, I would end up here. And you still believe and you still trust that he's good? That he didn't lead you out into the wilderness to to leave you there? But that he's taking you somewhere. And there's a reason why you're here in the wilderness. That's when faith starts actually happening. Until then, you were just going along with it. You were just going along. Faith starts growing when we're sure God is too late. The time in between, the time in between God's promises and their fulfillment is the time that we live in. God has promised a great eternity for us. And that promise was made and sealed thousands of years ago. But here in the interim, we are waiting. We're waiting for that. Similarly, 
God had made a promise to Abraham that in his seed, through Abraham's children, all the nations, all the families of the world would be blessed. And that promise was made to Abraham when they were no longer fertile. They could not have children, or at least Sarah could not have children. And then it still didn't happen after the promise. A year goes by, then another year goes by, then another year goes by, and it still hasn't happened. What did they do about that? Well, this is, this is part of what this passage is about. Starting to get into the passage. So by way of review, though, the book of Galatians, Paul writes this letter to churches that he had planted that had then come under the influence of other teachers who came in behind Paul and said, Paul's making it too easy on you. He's withheld some of the, some of the things in the gospel, some of the essentials from you. To really be a Christian, to really follow Jesus, you need to observe the Torah like Jesus did. And when Paul hears about this, like I've said before, he blows a gasket, he writes this letter. In the first part of the letter, he has to defend himself against these false teachers by saying, hey, I'm an apostle. I'm, I'm not a student of the apostles. I'm an actual apostle because I learned from Jesus directly. And when I went to the apostles to hear what teaching they had received from Jesus, they didn't say that I missed anything. And then Paul gets into his main thesis that is what I had said before. We are not made right with God. We are not made whole and complete as human beings because of anything we do, but because of what God has done for us. It's not by following any set of rules. It's not by climbing any sort of ladder to reach a bar, but it's by faith in Christ. And we're going to get into why faith is is an important component. Like I just said in the introduction, it grows when you're sure he's too late. But it's by faith in Christ. And then Paul, Paul argues from their own experience, hey, you received Christ. You heard the gospel. You saw miracles before you started observing any Torah, before anybody talked to you about that. God himself came to you. And he talks about how those who, who, are, who, who say, I'm going to rely on my own striving to make it, you're under a curse. The law was always a curse because it's not like you can just keep one. You've got to keep all of it. And no one has ever been able to do it apart from Jesus. And in so doing, Jesus became a curse for us. And then Paul goes on further to talk about th- this question of, well, why? why? Why was there ever a Torah? What do we do with it? And he says the Torah was an instructor. It taught us what sin was. The law was added because of transgression, he says. Taught us what sin was. Showed us how we don't measure up. It became like a weight that pressed down upon us. A word of judgment. But of course, that word of judgment was always meant to drive us toward a gracious God who had made promises that all the families of the earth would be blessed in Abraham's seed, and that seed was Jesus. So the law is good insofar as it shows us the good and right way, and it is good insofar as it shows us that we are not capable of keeping it. 
but it is actually a curse insofar as we believe that it will provide for us what it will take to keep the law. The law does not empower you to keep what it says. And that's why it becomes a curse. It becomes a word of judgment upon us. So Paul talks about, you know, being adopted in the family. The difference between a child and a, and a slave, there really is no difference when the child is young. But then when they grow up, they receive the inheritance of the family. But the slave also can receive the inheritance of the family. They come out of slavery by being adopted into the family. And that is what the Lord has done for us. He has adopted us into his family. And then last time, we talked about Paul's, uh, Paul's relationship with the Galatians. And he says, look, I'm, I'm like the mama bear here. I am, I am in anguish over you because I want Christ to be fully formed in your hearts and you're being led astray. We have this history together. I have this desire and this longing for you. That Christ would be formed in your hearts. And that's not going to happen as long as you're hanging on to this law, hanging on to this belief that if you do enough, you'll be okay. So after this appeal to his experience with them, Paul continues the argument for one more, well, one more major section um, in terms of arguing from, from the Old Testament, from, exam- from previous example in the Bible. He'll have one more thing to say before he gets into the practical things. But here we're going to start in verse 21. Paul says this, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. She is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. There's a second Jerusalem. Above is free. And she is our, our mother, the free woman. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now, brothers, meaning brothers and sisters, all y'all, like Isaac... Uh, Y'all are like Isaac, children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh, that that would be um, Ishmael and Hagar, according to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, meaning Isaac, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, meaning brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. This is the word of the Lord. Now, there's a lot here. Okay, so we're going to move quickly. 
So the, the primary metaphor, the primary background here is the story that I had mentioned earlier of Abraham and the promise God made to Abraham that in his seed will all the children of the earth be blessed. And what he meant, what God meant was the offspring of Abraham and Sarah. That's who it's going to go through. But what had happened was Abraham and Sarah wavered in their belief in that promise. And Sarah had told Abraham here, this is never going to happen. This is never going to happen the natural way. So the only way you're going to have a son or an heir is if you take one of our slaves, you sleep with her. And through her, you have a son. That is what in here... Paul calls flesh, right? Verse 23, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. So in the story of Abraham and Sarah, Abraham has a child with a a slave woman named Hagar. And then Hagar starts to look with contempt on Sarah. And then, miraculously, Sarah conceives and has Isaac. So you have one son who is born, as Paul says, according to the flesh, who is born according to their own efforts. God is too late. He's not going to make it happen. We got to do it ourselves. Ishmael. And then there was one son who was born according to the promise. This is impossible. Nevertheless, God has done it. Two sons, one according to the promise, one according to the flesh. And Paul here, he says, this isn't, let's let's go ahead and interpret this allegorically. Now, just a sidelight. I don't think here he is giving every single human being free reign to find any story in Scripture and turn it into an allegory. Paul here is is speaking uh, as an inspired apostle. So his interpretation, I I think we can go with, while uh, while our interpretation, eh, I'm not so sure about how inspired I am about finding allegories. And you can uh, can go throughout church history and read the different um, types of allegories um, or, or the ways that, let me, let me rephrase that, how people have used an allegorical form of interpretation to come up with all kinds of things that the Bible is supposedly saying. I do not recommend this as a method, but here, Paul is using it as an illustration point. So let's go ahead and let him have that. So he says, this can be interpreted allegorically. He says, there's a current Jerusalem here, he means, he means physical Jerusalem with the temple. The temple was there at the time. And, uh, and that represents Hagar, slavery, the old covenant, the Torah. But there's also a new Jerusalem, a promise. He says a Jerusalem that is above. It represents Isaac. It represents the promise. It's the new world. The new heavens and the new earth, if you read the apocalypse of John, the last book in the Bible, he talks about a new Jerusalem 
descending down out of heaven. There is a new Jerusalem. There is a promise that you and I have of a world that God has for us in which we are free. And what Paul says right now is we're already beginning to live in it. He says in verse 28, Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. He says this right after that quotation. Did you you see that quotation, which is essentially about barren women being able to give birth? Once again, it's the promise. He's talking about the promise, the promise, the promise. We don't have a new Jerusalem, a Jerusalem that is above right now. But there's a promise of it. And what Paul's saying, his whole point in here, is that you can live according to the promise, or you can live according to the law. And if you live according to the law, that will equal slavery to you. But if you live according to the promise, that will equal freedom. Our trouble, very often, our trouble is that we do not trust God. You know, the, the trouble for many of us is not, it isn't what the, what the Galatians had, where they're like, oh man, in order to really follow Jesus, I got to follow the Jewish Torah. For us, we invent a new, a new version of that. If you've been a believer any length of time. The new version of that is, I got to read my Bible every day. I got to pray a certain number of hours. I got to go to a certain number of meetings, whether it's Sunday or community group in the middle of the week or a midweek Bible study or a prayer meeting. It becomes that sort of thing. Or we have, we have our secular form of it too. I got to earn a certain amount of money. I got to get a house in a certain zip code. I got to get my kids into certain schools. I got to have a certain number of letters after my name, whatever it is. It's all law. It's all Law that we achieve according to the flesh. And the reason why we do that is because we actually deny God the right to be God. What we've done is we have said something other than God is judge. Is the judge over my life. And it's whatever that judge is. The judge is society. The judge is economics. So I got to live in, within a certain, I got to achieve a certain economic standard. It's the mores of society. I got to be, uh, I got to be against the government enough, or I got to be pro-government enough. I got to have a big family. I got to have a small family. I got to gain a certain income. Why? Because there's some judge somewhere, either within me or outside of me, that is not God, that is telling me, I am not acceptable. Unless, fill in the blank. What is it for you? Pointed question. What is it for you? What must you have or must you be in order to be okay? Who is that judge and where does that judge come from? 
We know we don't measure up. That is universal. You don't have to know one wink about Christianity to feel that way. You know you're not okay. And the easiest way to make ourselves feel okay is to find some kind of judge, whether it's an internal judge or an external judge, and say, okay, if I can get here, if my life can be like this, if I could be this kind of person, if I could claim these kinds of achievements, then I'll be okay. The first and primary problem with that is that we are saying God is not the judge. I or whoever else is. That is dishonoring to God. The second problem with that that's related is that whoever this judge is, them not being God, their standard is constantly going to shift. And not only is it constantly going to shift, it's constantly going to shift because that person is not perfect. There's always more. There's always a higher bar. You'll never actually be sure that you've made it. There's always more to do. There's always, always, always more. The law as our judge is ruthless and cannot be satisfied. Whether that law be something we're imposing on ourselves or something that's imposed on us from without. Indeed, the law of God given in Torah is ruthless and cannot be satisfied by our efforts. We will never, ever measure up to it. And so we can, like Abraham and Sarah through Hagar, choose to pursue And achieve for ourselves the promise of God in the flesh, meaning through our own efforts. But we will wear ourselves out. And that is what we choose to do constantly. It's what I choose to do too. And the reason why, I can tell you this with a great degree of certainty. The main reason why we do that, why we labor under this slavery nonstop. And we don't just call it quits. The main reason why is because we want to believe that we can control the outcome of our life. That, that, that need for acceptance, that we can be in control of that. That we can do what it takes to satisfy that. We want to make sure, we, want, we believe that assurance, the assurance that we will be okay, that I will be okay, that I am accepted, that I am affirmed, that I am loved. I can be sure of that by doing X, Y, or Z. Do you realize That if that were true, let's just say it were true. You are constantly changing and at some point you're going to topple from that. Every single one of us, at some point in our life, are going to become utterly useless to everyone else. We are going to become dead weight. 
going to become dead weight. And that might be literally when we drop dead. But more likely, it's going to happen somewhere in our 70s, maybe 80s. People are going to forget about us. We're not going to have things to offer. Our memory is going to go. Our body is going to break down. And we're no longer going to have something to offer. There's no way. We're not even going to get on the first rung of the ladder. It won't work. What we need is faith. What we need is to trust that God alone is the judge. He is the judge, the only judge. And his verdict is the only verdict that matters. And once his verdict has been stated, that's it. Anything else that contradicts it is wrong, is dead wrong. And his verdict has been given to us in Jesus Christ through his life and death and resurrection. And his verdict to you and to me is, you are mine. I desire you. Nothing that you have done or will do can separate you from my love. I choose you. I want you. Yeah, but I've got all these holes. I've got all these flaws. I still want you. Yeah, but you know, I don't have, I don't have anything to offer the world. I still want you. I'm childless. I still want you. I don't read my Bible as often as I know I should. I still want you. I still affirm you and approve of you because you are in my son, Jesus. If you are in Christ, you are approved of God. And how are you in Christ? By faith. You just have to believe it. Believe that he is the God, that he is the judge, that he has pronounced the verdict, that you are innocent in his eyes, that you are his beloved Faith, it's trust. It takes trust, faith, to believe that, to live into that truth. And you might say, that's impossible because everything else around me screams at me that I'm not enough. And the Bible's response to that is, yes, it is impossible. It is impossible. But the good news is that God does the impossible. The Lord does the impossible for you and for me. See, faith is impossible just like keeping the law is impossible. The difference is that faith is a gift from God. Faith, to believe this, is something that God gives to us. God hasn't left us alone. Faith isn't another rung. on. The, it's not like, okay, there's, a, there's a, a different ladder with only one rung, and that rung is faith. Faith is a gift that he gives to us through the Holy Spirit. 
If you're saying, this is impossible, I give up, how do I, I can't do it. And you cry out to God and say, I can't do it, help. His spirit has already come into you to give you the conviction that you need help, that it is impossible. And now that his spirit is in you, now that faith can be born. You're born again. So speak to him. Say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Trust him. And if you don't trust him, say, I want to trust you. Help me. Give me this gift. Give me this gift of faith. If you've never met Jesus, if this is all incredible to you, unbelievable, that's understandable. It's perfectly understandable. But if you suspect that there's a slight chance that it might be true, if you're resonating, yeah, I do, I am tired of having to do everything I can to feel like I'm enough, and I still don't feel like I'm enough. There is rest for you. There's rest for you. Open your heart up. Take that tiny seed, that that tiny suspicion that this might be true, and nurture that. Say, okay, I'll give it a go. I do need help. And come to Jesus today. Open your heart. Open your heart to him and say, I want to try this out. I want to believe that your verdict over me and my life is true. I don't want to strive anymore. I don't want to labor under this thing called law. I want to live in freedom. The freedom of knowing that I'm approved, that I'm loved. Maybe you've known Jesus your entire life. You don't even know of a time when you, when you weren't a Christian. You just always believed it. You didn't feel like you had a reason not to. You can still labor under law, can't you? You can still strive. Don't do that. Stop doing that. You know, it's like, you know, the difference between flesh and spirit and, and, and slavery and promise. It's, it's like someone saying, I'm, I'm going to prom- I promise you, I'm going to give you a house. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give you a house. And years go by. And you're like, when am I going to get that house? And you're renting. Like, oh, it's getting late. The flesh thing to do is say, well, I'm not going to get the house. So I better start, we better start saving. We better start, get a mortgage, uh, you know, and do it ourselves. Because we don't, I don't actually believe that, that I'm going to be given this house. That's flesh. Where spirit says, I'm going to, I'm going to hold out. I'm going to keep trusting. What Paul is saying here is that you're, you're already living and the house is already available to you. You've been handed the deed. It's right there. Why are you trying to get yourself a mortgage into another house when you've already been given one? It's right there. Go live in it. How crazy would it be if you're living 
in the house you've been given and you're still like, well, I got to get a mortgage. (laughs) That's what it's like to go back to law. Come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've forgotten that you love me and you approve of me no matter what I do or do not do. Sorry, I've been trying to earn your favor that you've already given to me. I'm already okay. Thank you so much that I'm already okay. That you love me in spite of myself. Come to Jesus and thank him and say, Lord, change my heart. So those things that I'm doing under the weight of the law, I will do in the freedom that comes from being with you and trusting and relying on you. Do that today. Do it every day. I certainly have to do it every single day. Love you guys. Be blessed.